This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. First reading is from Genesis, the 32nd chapter. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God's face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Holy wisdom, holy word. Second reading is from 2 Timothy, the third chapter. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, sober, <clears throat> endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow 
who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what that unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Today's first lesson from Genesis, the story of Jacob wrestling on the bank of the Jabbok River, is such a rich story. It is unique in Scripture, and as such, I found it very hard to, to find an effective focus for this story because there's just so much material there, so many things that this story suggests. But I think to adequately, or even to begin to unravel this story, we have to look at the larger context in which it takes place. We have to look at the larger story in which this scene takes place. You might remember Jacob. He was the one who was the twin of Esau, but was the second born. He is not a symbol of strength. Indeed, Jacob is a symbol of weakness, and yet he becomes the central character in this story, as happens over and over and over again in Scripture, where God intentionally focuses in on the weakest. Perhaps as a way of magnifying God's own role, and perhaps as a way of making us re-examine our assumptions about just what power and strength are. Regardless, Jacob is the one who comes into life moments after his brother Esau grabbing on to his foot as if even coming out of the womb he was trying to supplant Esau. Esau is depicted as strong, as resourceful. Esau is the great hunter. He is the one destined to become the new tribal leader after Jacob dies. Excuse me, after, uh, after his father dies. But Jacob is not without his own resources. Because what he lacks in strength, he makes up in cunning. And in this, he takes on the role that we find in so many tribal stories, the story of the trickster, like Coyote or Br'er Rabbit. He is the one who gets by by cunning rather than by strength. And so it is that Jacob manages to best his older brother 
Finding him in a time of weakness, he tricks him out of his birthright as the firstborn. He tricks him out of his inheritance. He tricks him by receiving the blessing that was intended for Esau. When Esau discovers this, Jacob is forced to flee for his life and goes to live with his uncle Laban, who is very nearly Jacob's match for cunning. Because Laban manages to fool Jacob into marrying his daughter Leah, rather than the one that he thought he was going to marry, Rachel. And then he tries to trick Jacob out of his earnings, out of his wages, during the time that he works for Laban. Only Jacob regroups and manages to turn the tables on Laban, eventually leaving not only with Leah and Rachel, but with a good portion of Laban's wealth as well. Once again, he has to flee for his life. So now he has both Laban and Esau pursuing him. And this is when the, the, the curtain opens on this scene where Jacob comes to the bank of the Jabbok River. And there he hears that Esau is coming with a great army. And afraid for what that might mean, he sends his family across the river. And then there on the banks of the river, as the sun goes down, he waits for what the day will bring. In Scripture, rivers are usually a sign of a boundary or a threshold. Something is going to change here. Not only that, but darkness is a time of, it, it's a time when the fabric separating the divine from the human grows thin. And it is also a time of strange encounters and of change. And so here, all of a sudden, Jacob is assailed by this stranger. And all of a sudden, this story takes on a dreamlike quality. He and this stranger fight all night long. And we are told that neither is able to gain a telling advantage over the other. And when the stranger finds that he can't beat Jacob, using what is perhaps a cheap shot, he puts his hip out of joint. But at this point, Jacob, unable to win, refuses to lose. He grabs on to his assailant, gets him in the headlock or whatever kind of lock, and will not let go. And as the sun begins to rise on the normal world, when this assailant cannot get away, Jacob demands that he bless him. Now at this point, I think it's worth 
asking the question, who did Jacob think he was fighting? He was expecting Esau. He was expecting to encounter Esau. Therefore, how ironic that he demands once again the blessing. But here, the blessing is given in the form of a name change. And again, in Scripture, when a name changes, it means the identity changes. And when Jacob asks for the blessing, it is given in the form of the name change to Israel, which means one who struggles with God. And in this, some scholars have looked at this story and seen something much more ancient. They see perhaps that this is a story that might have originally been about some sort of water demon that Jacob encounters. But where it comes from is not important. It is how it is used to communicate who Jacob is and therefore who we are as Jacob's descendants, who the children of Israel were and who we are as those who continue on in that tradition. We are those who struggle with God. That has become part of our, well that has become our identity. It's as if the story freezes there as the sun rises with Jacob and this stranger locked in a battle in which neither can prevail. This is our right position. This is our identity as those who relate to God. But I also got thinking about the nature of the injury that Jacob receives. Because the injury is not healed, and we are told that he leaves the scene limping. And as I talked about this story with a couple friends this week, the word we kept coming back to was trauma. Because the difference between an injury and trauma is that trauma does not go away, trauma is not healed. Trauma can only be integrated and become part of who you are. The question is just whether you are able to integrate it in some kind of healthy way. And so just like this name change, this injury becomes part of who Jacob is. And I think it speaks to us about how we encounter God and how we encounter scripture. So often in history it seems like Christianity and and conversion has been associated with victory. Sometimes in history it actually was history. It was, you know, one army defeats another and all of a sudden, bam, you're all Christian. But even now, 
conversion can be seen as, as some sort of victory that we win over the world. And yet here, we are shown that there is no victory. There is only the struggle. That our role as Christians are to be those who are constantly embracing God. And whether you want to call it embracing or wrestling, it kind of depends on the day. Sometimes it can feel like a love embrace. Sometimes it can feel like a battle to the end. And sometimes love can feel that way as well. But the difference between that image and the image of a battle to be won is that it is, it's an intimate image. We are forever locked together with God. We can feel God. We can smell God. Sometimes we may be injured. Sometimes we may be lifted up. But this is the place and this is the God where we can bring our traumas, where we can bring our doubts, where we can bring those things we don't understand, our anger, our bitterness, and throw them with all of our strength against God and demand that God bless us. Demand that God makes sense of these things. And when it seems that God doesn't, we grab on harder and we simply refuse to give up. Isn't that what faith is? The simple refusal to let God go. If you're anything like me, I doubt you have gotten to a place in your life where you feel like you've got it all figured out. Where you feel like, oh, okay, now I understand who God is. Now I understand how God works in the world. Rather, we go through seasons. Seasons where at one moment we rest and we rely on our understanding to that point until that understanding gets stretched to the point of breaking. And then we engage in battle again. Then we grab onto God again and demand that God bless us with understanding. Demand that God give us a new name and change us. Because we are not the same people we were. We're certainly not the same people we were when we were 10 years old. But I dare say we're not even the same people we were yesterday. Rather, we encounter each new day with a demand for a new identity and we ask God to ground that identity in blessing. We ask God to give us that new identity so that we might become what we are destined to become. 
as God's servants. And we don't have to be strong. We don't have to be Esau. We just simply have to refuse to let go. Amen.